Hey guys, welcome to the London Lift podcast. Today we are joined by a very special guest, Mr. Tom McClure, who's a colleague of former show guest Liam Holmes of PH Nutrition. Tom is a hybrid athlete and nutritionist. So today we're talking all about hybrid training, the nuances of the training itself, but more specifically the nutritional strategies that go alongside it. Even if you are not a hybrid athlete, there's a lot of useful information here about fueling your training and a few things that I certainly didn't know before the podcast with some real practical takeaways for how to better your performance through food. So hopefully you'll enjoy this as much as Rob and I did. But before we get into it, don't forget to click the link in the description box below to get your seven day free trial to Rob's Strength Formula program, which is your answer to the strength and muscle building equation. Also, a big thank you to our show sponsor, thetrainingstimulus.com. If you are a functional fitness practitioner or professional, please check out the website to learn more about movement mechanics. And also thank you to zagsupplements.com, our favorite daily supplement, which is a liquid gel shot delivering 29 vitamins, nootropics, and adaptogens that gets us feeling absolutely dialed in for work, training, and keeping energy levels high for the whole day. So if you'd like to try it, go to the website and use our discount code DISCLIFT20, that's D-I-S-C-L-I-F-T-2-0, to get 20% off your trial pack. Right, let's get into it. Tom, welcome to the show. How are you doing today, mate? Hey, guys. Thank you very much for having me on. Uh, I'm very well, thank you. Hope you're both doing okay. Very well, thank you. And um, for the listeners who might not have come across your profile yet, please could you give us a quick who you are and what you do? Uh, well, I'm Tom McClure. I am a performance nutritionist day to day, husband, and I'm someone who likes to lift and run and eat a lot. So um, I fall into the category of maybe what the internet would class as a hybrid athlete, someone who trains in a hybrid way. I've been doing that as my own training since about kind of 2020, lockdown-ish. Um, remember that time, what was lockdown? Um, so that's what I like to do as a way to kind of keep myself fit is test myself physically, mentally by often signing up to challenges and events. Um, and then now from a, a work point of view, we're getting more and more people knocking on our door that are doing the same, that are exploring their methods of, of fitness and trying different things and signing up to different races. So from a nutrition point of view, it's really exciting to work with people who are dipping their toe in the water or taking on extreme challenges, etc. Awesome. And how, first of all, could you please give your definition of hybrid training and then tell us how you got into it? Like, what was it about lockdown that made you think now's the time? Um, hybrid training. Well, essentially what I see it as, and again, I'm sure the internet will love to contest this with me, but essentially we're looking at concurrent training is, is I see it in its purest form. I mean, lots of people actually train in a in a form of strength and conditioning, maybe have some aerobic training in their week. But I see hybrid training as trying to specify in two or more often kind of opposing areas that would often maybe be, you know, put together as a, a typically as a way that someone would say that maybe these two can't coexist, you can't do two things at the same time, cardio will steal your gains, all that, all that kind of methodology. So you might have someone trying to PR their deadlift while trying to run a 5K as fast as they can, someone trying to compete in powerlifting while taking on uh, a marathon. You might get people to a very extreme where, uh, you know, they're competing 
in weightlifting and then trying to run or trying to try and take part in a triathlon, for example. So often two areas that maybe clash heads, but actually, you know, we know the body is amazing uh, and very adaptable. And actually, if you look at professional sport, and I always talk about rugby players as an example, like they're an example of guys that are very fit, very strong, and might be a kind of, you know, sport specific hybrid athlete. So, you know, there's lots of different terms out there. You know, in terms of, let's say, concurrent training, hybrid training, you could even talk about CrossFit, functional fitness as people who are strong and fit. But typically, that a lot of people that I'm working with now, let's say, have kind of two or more goals that are opposing and they're trying to make the two marry up and maybe achieve them in a similar time frame as well. Awesome. And what appealed to you about hybrid training and why didn't you do CrossFit? Um, with CrossFit, I got to a point personally where I was getting a little bit frustrated with, uh, maybe my own performance and the sport itself. And I always felt like, and maybe it's a very natural thing to do is to look up to those above you, those that are performing better than you. And you're always, was always felt like I was chasing and never, and was getting left behind a little bit. Let's say that I was probably competing with people who were five, 10 years younger than me, you know, had a few more years in the bank and I just hit a bit of a, a plateau and was getting a bit frustrated with it and actually the gym I was training out of at the time then decided um, to get some members together and run uh, a half marathon that was taking place in the town so I was like okay I'll sign myself up for that that'd be a good challenge use my fitness was a bit of the tagline that was put towards it and then the world fell off the, a cliff edge didn't it and we went into lockdown um, and suddenly I had a few dumbbells in the garage and my running trainers. That's all I really had access to for the first few months. Um, so I just spent a bit more time outside on my feet. And from a personal point of view, I really reconnected with like the outside world, like getting about moving my body, you know, running, particularly when it was quiet as well in lockdown, it was a great opportunity to get outside. And I just found that I got a lot from it, uh, mentally as well as physically. Um, and then I've, I found myself competing more with myself, which I seem to prefer a little bit more. Don't get me wrong. I'm still inspired by other maybe kind of hybrid athletes and their achievements, but I don't feel like I'm trying to compete to be them or uh, achieve their achievements. I'm much more focused on what my body can do, how strong I can get it, what I can achieve, what distance I can cover, what speed I can run, etc. It's nice because I feel you're putting yourself into your own lane by getting yourself as strong as possible and then getting yourself as fit as possible. And because you're doing your own concurrent training where it's not necessarily run and powerlift, say, for instance, you know, you said like the marathon runner and the powerlifter. So because you that in itself is a very odd combination, you're not really comparing yourself to other people because it's not really a thing. So because there isn't that thing, it's just you now that's looking, okay, what can I do to endure the most amount of stress possible, say, in an, in an endurance situation? And then how heavy can I lift something for my body while still being able to run as far as you can? How, how have you found the the strength training side of stuff alongside the um, running stuff? Because... I, I personally found that I've definitely had to knock back a lot of my volume because of the extra stress coming through my body through running in particular. And I've found the recovery rate has been a lot slower if I've kept my uh, strength training a lot higher, which I've been dabbling with and trying to drop in down gradually. 
when you obviously going into lockdown, you was able to kind of just in a way go straight into say running and having a bit of specificity there because you just had some dumbbells. But then reintroducing the weights post when you got some uh, load going back through your body, how did you find that when you started to reintroduce heavy weights coming back in? Um, can't lie. I think the first week or two, yeah, definitely hit me like a bus when I finally got back under a barbell. But typically the the type of training and the programming that I follow, we try and consolidate stresses as much as we possibly can. So from a, a strength side of things, the, the heaviest lifts will always be at the start of the week. Uh, ideally, you're, you're freshest then. And as the week goes on, the intensity uh, of my weight training tends to drop away. Uh, and for example, now where I'm currently training for an ultra marathon, so my longest runs are taking place at the weekend, my weight training session on a, on a Friday is, is more of a full body session. And we'll use kind of medium to light weights and, and we'll just it's almost a bit of a maintenance mode tick over so there's definitely periods within a year where I will kind of push and pull and, and focus on one or the other um, there will be times where I try and match things up um, some people might have seen that I, I took on a little kind of mini challenge I set myself where I did a, a 200 kilogram deadlift uh, sub 20 minute 5k and a sub two hour half marathon in the same day but Again, you have to build yourself to that point where you know you've got all those three things in your wheelhouse. And probably like any training program, there are going to be areas of specificity within, say, a 12-month cycle. And that's the way I look at it. I kind of zoom out and think, right, well, how do I break 12 months into, say, three-month blocks and focus on a different area? What what do I need to work on, my strength or my speed or my aerobic base? And kind of go from there. So you're telling me you're not doing everything at once. You're not gonna. You're not trying to be the strongest you possibly can, the fastest you can possibly can, and the most enduring that you possibly can. I try to, but there are always points where I will have to like focus down on something. Like for example, now I'm I'm three weeks out from running a hundred k ultra marathon. So the strength training right now is purely just maintenance. You know, if I can keep eighty percent of my back squat. And I can do it for a couple of reps. I know I'm all right. But then I know that when that ultramarathon is done, I can then focus a little bit more back on my strength again and work towards things. I think there there comes a point where I think even as a hybrid athlete, where you will need to focus some effort into into different areas of your of your performance, depending on what your your goals for that kind of you know macro cycle might look like. What I love about that is the fact you mentioned there about maintaining around that 80% strength still so that you're not losing the skill of performing these heavy lifts. And I found during lockdown when I were doubled down onto triathlon and I booked onto a half Ironman that I went all in on triathlon, pretty much stopped lifting, but did a little bit here and there. And I just, I really, I missed lifting so much. And I, I found when I come back to it, it just felt so foreign. Whereas this mm. time around, maintaining a lot of my strength training, that's my main priority. And now the triathlon stuff is a little bonus. It's rather than that's the priority, it's just my kind of adding in that I found it so much better with my lifting. And even then when it comes into my aerobic work, that I just feel stronger and more robust because I'm maintaining that around that 80 to, well, I'm going more towards 90%, but 80 to 90% intensity on my lifting to kind of keep that strength because I have an overarching goal of a powerlifting at the end of the year. This is something, um, Ash, you, you might be kind of more interested in, is sometimes I find after maybe spending two or three days in a row where I'm running. Um, you know, often the ultramarathon is, is 
doing an ultramarathon for me is two things. One, it's running on tired legs and two, it's an eating and drinking competition pretty much. Um, so I often find on a Monday, maybe when I've run Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, I'm back in the gym and I'm squatting and people think it's bonkers. But actually, I find that actually, you know, moving into a full range of motion actually improves my recovery rate. I don't know if it's psychological, just getting my legs moving again. But rather than typically people thinking, oh, I'm going to do active recovery, which is something I sometimes see in a functional fitness space. And actually, it's like a 40 minute EMOM where you're in the bin for half of it. It's not really active recovery at all, is it? But actually, like getting some movement through your muscles and your joints, for me, seems to speed up my recovery. Yeah, there's there's lots of things that play there. But I think the key thing for a lot of people, this is one of the reasons why people don't feel good after rest days, is you're still telling your body to move, that it needs to do work. So like, this is one of the reasons why people, if they do too much of a taper before an endurance race, they actually perform poorly because mm -hmm. their body become, gets out of the rhythm of performing, producing force and everything starts to drop off. You're basically giving your body the signal to downregulate, to start to lose fitness because there's no longer a business case for it. So if you're giving your body a, a training stimulus, even if it's not that specific to running, for example, you're still saying you need to be active, you need to be strong, you still need to do all these things. Don't completely let everything diminish, but you are uh, doing less than you normally do. It's like doing a, a leg session probably doesn't burn as many calories, doesn't drain you quite as much as like an endurance run, but you still get the uh, the little kick up the bum to say, don't fully rest. You still need to be on. I can't have my blood volume drop and everything like that. So yeah, I think the caveat for that for the listeners is that that applies more to fitter athletes. So the people who train the most suffer the most from a rest day because it's such a big system shock to go from doing multiple hours a day to zero whereas if you train for 30 45 minutes three times a week a rest day is part of your training week by default right yeah so that's really cool to hear though and very impressive accomplishment doing all those three things at the same on the same day i think something we've spoken about before on the podcast is essentially the less things you do the more easily you can get good at them and I think this is a big argument for hybrid training in that compared to a sport like CrossFit, there's a lot less movements to get good at, if you, depending on what you choose. So you can actually get better at all of them sooner than if you are adding in Olympic weightlifting and gymnastics and everything else that goes with CrossFit. So it depends what your priorities are, but it's a pretty cool thing to yeah. say that you can do all of those things at the same time on the same day. Um, and not many CrossFitters could do that. And from a nutritional point of view, I find that when working with uh, clients on a one-to-one -one basis, sometimes you're right that from a CrossFit side of things where I've got a client and we might look at their training week, you're right that sometimes there's so many variables in there. And sometimes when trying to make sure that they've got, you know, their pieces in place in terms of, you know, their meals and their snacks and, and their energy requirements sometimes it can be a, a little bit of trial and error i'm not saying it's less trial and error with a hybrid athlete but often i can look at we can look at their training week and be like right you've got four strength sessions we know what they're going to look and feel like you've got 
some steady state work, some threshold work, and then you've got a, a, a longer run at the weekend. Great. That's very similar to the week before. Okay, how did that work? Yes, no, what changes do we make? And actually, although from the outside people go, oh, you, you're, you're balancing loads of stresses and you've got lots of different things to move about. Well, actually, week by week, my program is you know very, very similar. Um, just before we came on, I had a chat about a nice little DM that I got that uh, sometimes my Instagram stories are a bit boring, but I have a very set structure across the week. And because of that, I'm then, I'm then able to analyze myself what was good, what didn't work, what feedback does my body get? And, and I'm getting that now with clients as well, where we can look at their week and be like, ah, right, that's the pinch point there. Was that session causing too much localized fatigue? That's increased your hunger levels. That's affected your recovery. Right. Here's the protocol and here's the change we're going to make here. Whereas sometimes with CrossFitters, it's just a little bit more challenging, let's say, because there can be gymnastics volume there could be weightlifting volume there could be so many other things that that could that could challenge them in a different way sometimes it's hard to know what what uh what modality is causing what stress it's part it's part of the fun i do enjoy it don't get me wrong but actually sometimes people get a bit put off with hybrid training they're worried they're going to be doing lots of disciplines well actually a lot of the time i'm doing squat deadlift and bench and then i'm i'm running i haven't dipped my toe in the triathlon uh pool just yet i've managed to not buy a buy a wetsuit yet so i'm not not like rob just yet but uh keeping things simple for now seems to actually work really well for me and, and like we say it's it's a lot more staying in my own lane uh i can fit it in whenever i want in my day or my working day i haven't necessarily got to go do class or got to go to the gym at a certain time like running i can do anywhere which is great for travel i can train in probably 90 percent of gyms up and down the country i haven't got to have rings i haven't got to necessarily have a uh, you know, barbell I need to be able to snatch with. So I find actually in terms of uh, making it fit within my life as well, it, it, it seems to work, uh, seems to work really well there too. That's brilliant. And, um, you touched on something earlier, which is going to be one of our next questions was around localized fatigue, having an impact on how you would give somebody a nutrition plan. Could you elaborate on that a little bit further, but also give us some of the nuance behind a hybrid nutrition plan a plan for a hybrid athlete compared to somebody doing say single focus training if they're doing just strength or just running what would be the major points of difference in what their nutrition programs look like if i look at it from a from a client point of view a lot of the clients that i get in that are coming into this hybrid space are typically have some sort of gym or crossfit bodybuilding functional fitness background and they're introducing endurance training into their uh schedule and um this is normally creates the biggest challenge of one them understanding uh the energy consumption that comes with that and often they uh they underestimate how much energy they need to not only perform in these sessions but in terms of recovery afterwards and particularly if they're doing a lot of running based uh, endurance work as, as, as their hybrid uh, arm, so to speak, uh, that can obviously cause extra strain on joints that can cause, uh, particularly this time of year, we're looking at things like sweat rates uh, and hydration levels as well uh, with clients. Um, and also just, you know, impact on potentially uh, going from a, a 60 minute gym session where actually they're doing 40 minutes of work max because they're resting in between, they're chatting to their friends, Maybe they're doing some skill work to actually 
training for 45, 60 minutes in the gym consistently, you know, on a strength program and then going for like a half an hour run or then doing a turbo trainer session in the evening or doing 45 minutes in the pool. So it's a lot more continuous work. So we always talk about balancing the books to begin with is, is a lot of the time, even if they've got a body composition goal, um, you know, even if they're trying to get a bit lighter, it's actually, we just need to find like your baseline intake. We need to find your maintenance. We need to get to, uh, we need to find a, a kind of set point where your, your energy levels are, are being matched to, to what you're doing. And you're, you're able to not only fuel for the work required, but be able to train consistently, uh, across the week, like we said earlier about those pinch points that people sometimes might get by having a, uh, you know, fatigue is. It's very hard to, to put your finger sometimes on exactly what's what's caused the fatigue. It can be it can be a build up of, of of two or three days worth of training, or it could be something as simple as not getting a good night's sleep because they've got two kids. Um, so it's 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 sometimes looking at lifestyle factors and things like that as well in terms of where we often getting getting athletes to eat a little bit more, or looking at a, a big one is is in, is improving food quality. It's something my clients get sick in the teeth of me banging on about. And look, I'd never ask them to go out and buy a crazy shopping list of ingredients. It's just looking at what they currently eat and be like, right, how can we make that more nutrient dense? How can we sneak more colors, uh, you know, more fiber, it's sometimes even more protein into their diet. Brilliant. So we want to get into some specifics as well for the, the geeks of the nutrition world who are curious if they're doing functional fitness training, or they are doing a mixture of lifting and cardio stuff separately. What would you say the biggest mistakes are? You've mentioned calorie balance is number one. So if they're doing a lot of endurance stuff, they might be under fueling if they're not used to eating for that endurance stuff. Are there any other common pitfalls for the new hybrid athlete? Um, I think this goes for sometimes any athlete as well is it's often backloading calories to the end of the day particularly mm. if they've got double sessions as well and and you know if they've got a session in the first part of the day if they're going into that session under fueled and that session is still a performance-based session if they're in the gym or they're on the track in the pool on the bike uh and you know they're struggling through that session if they're under fueled it's going to impact their recovery too uh in terms of bleed over uh and then if they've got a second sec second session in the day Again, they're, they're just running at you know 50 60 percent of a, of a full tank of gas so by the time it comes to the evening finish their second session they're probably ravenously hungry so sometimes they can then over consume and we just have this kind of skewed distribution of, of intake across the day whereas i often find if we just dial down on that pre potentially intra and post-workout nutrition to begin with uh, and get get a real good meal structure in place that often you know gives people more all-day energy and they feel better energy for session one, they recover better, they have better energy for session two. And then we often find that will then just upregulate everything. You know, they'll recover better, they'll perform better in the gym, they'll gain a better stimulus in terms of more reps and sets or, or faster split pace. Well, like I say, even just the feedback of, I've got more energy day to day, my gut health's better, I'm not so sore across the week, which which is what we're after. What I what I find interesting about this is because I'm definitely I've been going through a lot of this myself at the moment and I've really felt the difference of under fueling in a workout like in a aerobic based workout and it was a brick session going from a bike to a run and I thought I had enough like carbohydrates and stuff and I 
clearly didn't because by the time I was like halfway through this run, which should have been quite an easy run, it was like a zone two run and I could barely finish off. I was so just, I just didn't fuel enough. And then it really brought the um, uh, importance to me of just like how much to fuel in the workout while I was on the bike ready for my run, even though it was an easy run, which I was, because in my head at the time, it was like, well, it's an easy run. I could just utilize some fat stores or something like that. It's zone two, it's easy. But I was just absolutely shattered. And I think it's it can be very confusing for some of like how much is actually needed in a workout. And I think it'd be really good to kind of maybe break that down because for myself, I've kind of, I found a bit of a sweet spot, but where, where, where would someone start if they wanted to kind of get an idea of maybe some of the intro workout? Cause you spoke about peri workout as like the whole pre intra and post. Maybe if we start with the intra and then kind of then talk yeah. about either side of that. Either Ash? Yeah. 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 Can, sorry, can I just pause before we get into this? Because you just touched on something very interesting, Rob, that I think a lot of listeners will be interested in hearing about in that a lot of people, I think, have the mindset that if you're doing zone two or low intensity, the fat burning intensity still lingers on. And a lot of people do fasted cardio, which uh, to burn more fat. And I think probably the most common pitfall I see for people doing double sessions is that setup where they have a zone two session in the morning and then something intense in the afternoon. But they think because it's zone two, it's low intensity. So I'll just burn some fat and I don't actually need to sort of fuel. fuel you know, if you do a big CrossFit session or you lift heavy, everyone's like, I need a post-workout shake. You know, I've got to replenish and I've got to get my protein and carbs in. But if you do a zone two session, a lot of people just think zone two doesn't touch me. I can just crack on as if it never happened. So could you give us a bit of an explanation, Tom, as to why that? might not be the best for people who are performance focused yeah 100 percent. i think what we have to think about again is 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 people will often look at their nutrition their training sometimes day by day and thinking everything might reset at midnight whereas you know your body is constantly regenerating recovering there is there is a continuous cycle yes we might talk about pre-workout and post-workout but actually things will things will things will bleed into one across a week and as we spoke about at the start with uh, fatigue something that you did on a monday you might feel on a wednesday so even if the session is low intensity you still wouldn't necessarily go for a drive in your car with no petrol in the tank uh, you might just be taking the slower lane so to speak so you might be using less energy but you'd still want to make sure you, for me particularly again if you're training in a in a hybrid style, it's it's likely again your volume across the week is higher than someone who's just going to the gym three, four, five times a week. So you don't want any potential gaps where you're going to be having you know like chasing your nutrition and going and putting yourself in a in an even lower glycogen glycolytic state. So even having something pre workout that's still going to bleed over into your post workout nutrition as well. Something I commonly see when looking at data uh, of, of clients um, is something like heart rate drift that we see in a zone two session. So someone will start, say, like like Rob will, will do a, a zone two easy run and they'll start you know, comfortably zone one, zone two, but it, across a 30, 40 minute period, their heart rate will spike and come up and sometimes even go into zone three. Now, 
if the, if the terrain's flat and the conditions are all the same and there's nothing else to cause that, it's often, you know, you're, you're not giving your, your body the, the oxygen and the fuel that it needs and it's having to work harder for the, for the job you're asking it to do. So for me, that's a, an opportunity to be like, okay, we need to maybe eat a little bit more in the evening or pre-session one to make sure that you can, again, you're still fueling for the work required. We always talk, use that term and people think about high intensity energy sessions working really hard, but actually it could just be, I want to keep my heart rate down. I want to have a nice steady intake of carbohydrate and fluid and potentially sodium to make sure that my body can maintain that zone two session for 30 minutes. I can build that to 40 minutes, 50 minutes, 60 minutes, and you can you know build your aerobic base from there. And what would you say to the metabolic flexibility argument of learning to burn fat? Because that's another common one that you hear. Uh, I mean, I mean, look, if I'm going to be really honest, the the number of people that I've worked with, whether that's at you know avid amateur level, all the way up to semi pro to professional level, I'm yet to really work with someone who's got a low carb, high fat protocol and performs. At, at their best, um, you know, carbohydrates are you, you, your body's primary energy source for for so many metabolic factors. So, you know, you can talk about training low, performing high, but again, for for most everyday people as well that that are going to the gym or, or dipping their toe in, in 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 some kind of style of, of hybrid training, we want we want things to be easy for people. Like the you know. That the pH nutrition approach is is to remove decision stress and try and make things as easy and and replicatable as, as possible across the week. And if we're trying to, you know, you're you're spinning enough plates with hybrid training as it is potentially. So you know, let's let's simplify nutrition. Let's have some carbs pre training, five six days a week. Let's have carbs and protein post workout, five six days a week, rather than trying to confuse someone that potentially is already confused. But like I say, just looking at who we've worked with. The, the the protocols that, that that are out there yet to see someone on the tour de france you know following a uh following following a high high fat protocol um because again we've we're not just talking about endurance training here as well we're talking about strength training and and balancing the two so we want to make sure that for a lot of people they're performing well they're recovering efficiently and if i'm going to be honest i wouldn't say a uh, low carb high fat way is the best way to do that yeah i i feel that my it was i still get a couple of hangovers from like you know more strength powerlifting like bodybuilding backgrounds and all sorts of dieting that i've done over the years and like when i've done low steady state cardio say in maybe in a fastest state it's not necessarily in a hybrid fashion it would be just some very low walking on a treadmill or some low bike something like that where you know I've been able to kind of get through it and then I fuel as per for the rest of the day. But as soon as I look to actually use the aerobic work as performance based, that is where the massive shift changed. And rather than thinking as my zone two work is for fat loss, it's my zone two work is actually to build my foundations. I would be do I would, put, I would be fueling my strength session. Just, so why would I not fuel my foundation building aerobic session? And as soon as I kind of had that shift, I was like, fuck. And then I got on the runs. And then when I was fueling, like coming off the bike, I'm thinking, right, I've literally, so as soon as I got off the bike, had a gel, I knew what I was going to be hitting in my, in my run for when I was having my next hour of gels for the hour run. And 
it was one of the best say like easy runs that I'd had off the bike and it was I was just like the 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 clear comparison that I had between not fueling for an easy run and fueling for an easy run say off of a bike was insane like it was such a difference and the easy run and what I loved there what you said about with the heart rate drift is it was just so much easier to maintain a lower heart rate and that, and that was because I had the energy to trundle along rather than just getting by and stressing. I'm just like, fuck, why is my heart rate not keeping down there? I'm walking. I'm like, it's still going up. I think there was uh, there's a there's a research there was a research study done that showed that was it like up to sixty or seventy percent of your v, VO2 max that fat adapted athletes performed slightly better than carbohydrate fed athletes, but seventy percent of your VO2 max it really isn't that high to be honest um so you know if for ultra low intensities again there's not many people that might be doing this say like a hundred mile run then yes it could well be a viable method where you are shuffling along walk jog etc you might want to think about being a bit more fat adapted but for all levels of exertion um you know in ter- if we're thinking about power if we're thinking about you know if we're thinking you know, just about overall effort carbohydrates will always be the single best fuel for any endurance or performance-based activity. There you go. That's it. I think the way I like to think about it is that low carb is a stressor. Like it's when you're in that state, it's a low level stressor because you don't have the easy access fuel. So you're, if you're performance focused, you've got something else nibbling at you, stealing a bit of your power. So it's never going to produce the most, output compared to the easy more readily available fuel so if if performance is your priority i can't see any good argument to do it really unless like you say it's ultra ultra um long right thank thank you for that quick little detour let's get back into the workout nutrition so we were going to start with intra so what are the key considerations for intra workout training for the hybrid athlete I would think of it as you've got three cups and you want to make sure each of your three cups are full, not overflowing, but obviously not running empty. And the three cups are carbohydrates, water and sodium, or what most people think of electrolytes. Um, And obviously, depending on the type of session, depending on the time of that session, maybe depending on conditions as well, those cups will begin to empty at different points. For most people, around about 60 to 75 minutes, as soon as they're hitting that or, or going over, that is for me is when we would look at, right, we need to think about topping the tank up. And we need to, often if someone's training towards a goal and a target as well, we need to start practicing this and replicating it as soon as possible in your training. Um, so you can find what method works best for you. You know, there's lots of really good options out there. Most people are great with something off the shelf in terms of carbohydrates, whether that's a gel, a powder, a chew. If you want to use real food, great. But I think there's more logistical trouble with that. Um, But you need to train your body to take food on board when you're working out. So the earlier you can do that, the better. Um, And then there's, there's always a bit of a sliding scale based upon if someone's doing maybe an hour to 90 minutes if they're doing two to three hours or if they're going three hours plus, those demands will tend to increase um, because obviously, let's say you're working for longer, um, you've got potential 
things like heart rate drift spoken about core body temperature will continue to increase the longer that you exercise for and it's essentially making sure that at no point any of those three cups carbohydrates water or electrolytes run out um, because you don't want to hit the wall and you don't want to bunk and get a dnf that's a brilliant way of thinking about all of that and just for uh the listeners, could you give a little bit of an explanation around why taking in fuel is much better for performance than I think some people might be listening in and thinking, but I've got body fat and I've got a lot of glycogen like in mm-hmm. my liver and in my muscles. There's actually a lot of available energy there. Why is eating or drinking fuel better for performance than letting the body dig into those reserves i think i mean digging into those reserves again you might then not achieve the stimulus of that session if you're going out to do a two three hour low intensity run and you are under fueling that run there is a chance that that session will become an aerobic session very very quickly you're going to end up in zone three zone four you're going to like say increased heart rate increased core body temperature and what impact is that going to have on your uh, one, your following training week, and two, your progression within that session if you're struggling to get through the session that, that's prescribed for you. Um, in regards to carbohydrate, let's say after that hour to 75-minute window, your your body doesn't have a, a, an infinite amount, so you do need to keep yourself topped up. Your body's going to burn through that quicker than you quicker than you think. And again, Often, if you're building towards a longer event, a half marathon, a marathon, ultra, triathlon, etc., you're going to have to use carbohydrate to get you through that event. You're going, you're going to have to. So, you know, the stomach is an amazingly adaptive organ, and you know it. But you just have to maybe train it a little bit to, to be able to take um, fuel on board. Like, say, there's an infinite number of ways you can do that, um, but it's best to, to to practice early and always fuel from minute zero i sometimes see a lot of people wait until they're 90 minutes into a two-hour workout to take a gel i'm like okay well actually if you took a gel at 30 minutes and 60 minutes and 90 minutes then come back and tell me how your session felt and actually how you feel two days later i guarantee there'll be a massive difference in performance and recovery markers 100 percent what I what I like about this is um, I'm hearing and I see a lot of time from you guys, whether it's you, Liam, or the guys at PH Nutrition in general, it's the difference between thriving and surviving. It's that thing of if you're not fueling for the workout, you're literally for that, say, 90 minute, two hour run, easy run, you're just going to survive to the end. And then you're going to hope to be able to come out the other side feeling all right. Whereas if you're then fueling, you're going to thrive through that workout. And something that even I had a shift recently, probably in the last couple of weeks, is say um, I aim for normally carbohydrates say every 30 minutes roughly that's what I'm hitting and if it was a 90 minute workout I'd still have the carbohydrates in that 90th minute say so that I'm leaving the session still topped up feeling okay because I'm I think as soon as I then get off the bike my recovery is starting right or whatever I'm doing so my recovery is going to start I might as well still provide myself because you know what you said about not eating at minute zero my I well I know you then said eat 30 minutes later but like my pre-workout nutrition normally I in my head takes me to 30 minutes and now I'm going to be topping up that every 30 minutes fueling so I know my numbers that I've kind of worked with how would someone discover how many carbohydrates they should be looking to have in a workout because you've spoken there about training your gut and 
that is something where you might think, well, I can eat a lot. It's like, yeah, I'm sure you can eat a lot, but eating a lot under stress is a very different situation. And like you, and as you mentioned to like the length of your workout with all the other factors of stress is coming out as in core body temperature increasing and all those bits. What would be someone's, what would be someone's first place they should start to look to? Yeah. Great question. Um, let's look at, um, if we were going to say someone was doing like that one to two hour period, which is where most people are, are going to be thinking about, right, I, d- I definitely need to take something on board because Tom's been moaning at me to do so. Um, with Again, some people will have maybe heard, um, you know, you need so much grams per kilogram of body weight, but actually the body can only digest and absorb so much regardless of your uh regardless of your body size so so there are kind of general guidelines but again this this is always down to a little bit of trial and error and and how you want to break things up across the hour but typically work on a on a protocol if someone's doing one to two hours we're probably looking about 40 to 60 grams of carbohydrates per hour every hour so if they're doing two hours we need to think about right how are we going to get say top number 60 grams of carbs so 120 grams of carbohydrates in across that two hour period and like rob you said there you want to be splitting it up across the hour so all products are a little bit different in terms of size and shapes and amount of carbohydrates um and in terms of of terms of training your gut i find the easiest place to start is with liquid carbohydrate so you could use something like a LucasAid Sport. It's fantastic. You could use like a, a carb powder. Um, there's loads of different brands and things out there. But this this then actually fills two of your cups that I spoke about earlier in terms of water and carbohydrates. And there are some products out there that also have electrolytes in as well. So in terms of bang for your buck, you're potentially keeping all three of your, your cups topped up. You then might want to introduce... Like again, like an off-the-shelf product, like a, like a gel or a chew. They're the, probably the next easiest product to, to take on board. Where I see a lot of people maybe get this wrong from a logistic point of view is they just think they have to neck the uh, carb gel like it's a Friday night and they're out and out in the town, <laughs> like they've got to rip the top off and send it like it's a uh, like it's a shot. You can take it over a five ten minute period. That's an easier way for your body to get used to moving uh, on the bike, on the run, whatever you're up to, um, and just taking a, taking a mouthful, swallowing it, having a sip of water, and repeat that over a five to ten minute period. Over time, yeah, you can get to a point where you can rip the top off the gel and send it, no problem at all. But I think, again, it's good to, just to, to introduce things slowly. Um, keep things as similar as you can in terms of products. Um, don't have a whole different load of product week after week and keep chopping and changing from brands. So you can use, like I say, liquid's great. You could then look at gels and, and chews and bars, and then you can move into a little bit of the whole food if you think you, you need to. So 60 to 80, uh, say, say kind of like that 40 to 60, maybe up to 80 grams per hour if you're doing up, up, up to two hours. As soon as you go over that two to three hours and, and longer, this is where your body is going to need a higher amount of carbohydrates. And you're going to want to think about mixing and matching different sources as well. Why I say mixing and matching? Well, if you have different transporters of carbohydrates, different methods of carbohydrates to get that source into your bloodstream and your body to use it for energy, it's going to digest easier and you're going to have less potential GI distress, which is something I know runners and cyclists always worry about when taking on carbohydrate sources. So to get close to 90 or maybe even 
There's studies that show that the body can take on 120 grams of carbohydrates per hour. You're going to have to mix and match fluid-based carbohydrates, semi-solid, and maybe even some, some real food products as well. But again, that's where your training sessions, you almost need to think of them as a little bit like races sometimes and, you know, go out there with those nutrition protocols in place. So it's a bit of a sliding scale, not to kind of get lost in the lost in the weeds here a little bit, thinking about, you know, one hour and a bit, 30 to 60 grams, to anywhere up to three hours, could be 40, 60, maybe even 80 grams of carbohydrates per hour. As soon as anyone ticks over that three hour mark, you need to be thinking about 90 grams, 100, 120 grams per hour. That's when, you, when you say about tripping, ticking over into the three hour plus mark, does that then mean you're taking that consideration in from minute one or are you taking that consideration in post three hours? Then you want to be up in the carbohydrates there. That is that is the consideration for minute one. Again, we, we want to be starting strong and finishing almost even stronger or again at the same intensity that you started at. You know, yeah. there, there's, there's no point again having heart rate drift, having fatigue, struggling through a session because you, you're, you're fueling uh always starts 20 minutes earlier than you than you think you needed it effectively if you if you've, anyone's ever been out on a run or a bike ride and you feel thirsty or you feel hungry you needed the gel 10 15 minutes ago you know it still has to have a, a digest time it's not like it's a it's a plug and play where you, you you drink the carbohydrate and you get an instant kick from it you you still have to allow this time so yeah practicing it from minute zero and again from a logistic point of view you can start to dial in that structure of every 10 minutes it's a sip of drink every 20 minutes it's a gel or a chew or a bar and effectively you just rinse and repeat that until you finish sounds simple doesn't it but that's effectively you've got to get into that structure of like i said right at the start running an ultra marathon mm -hmm. is running on tired legs and an eating and drinking competition is the only risk of overfueling the gi issues like in my head i'm thinking if you want to avoid that situation you could almost front load, err on the side of front loading and over fueling if performance is your priority. I'm just trying to think of what the downsides of that might be. Would it just be that you might shit yourself? Is that the only worry? <laughs> um, <laughs> that's a big, that's a big worry to have. That's, that's the number one big worry to have. And I guess you value the, performance. The, 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 the other worry is, is, I guess as well, it is a feeling, is, is a sense of feeling heavy and like a feeling of, of slossy, sloshiness. That's the only way I could describe mm. it as a runner where sometimes I have maybe kind of gone through what gone through liquid carbohydrates a bit quickly and, and, and you do feel a bit, a bit kind of heavy on, on certain parts of the runs. Uh, and again, look, you know, if your body's moving, that's where you're asking your body to, to put blood into is your, is, is your legs or your, your arms or, or, or both. Um, obviously if you're putting, uh, food into your body you're then asking your body to put blood into your digestive system so it's it's a very very fine balance so i think as a hybrid athlete hopefully most people are quite data driven in terms of you know feedback in terms of you know uh you know heart rate metrics you know sleep metrics recovery metrics but it's the same when you're on a run i would often be keeping an eye on um not so much kind of heart rate zones in particular but but often for me it's like a heart rate versus uh, talk test versus pace. It's almost like three things I'll keep an eye on. Um, my friends will often know that I will voice note them while on long runs. One, it's a nice form of distraction when they voice note me back, but two, it's actually a great way for me to do a talk test. 
and for me to very quickly understand right what's what's going on if something's not right is one of my cups getting empty or actually if something feels a bit uncomfortable and my heart rate's spiking maybe i just need to slow down maybe i've, I've eaten too much food too quickly i just need to give my body time to digest that a little bit more so maybe slow my pace down walk if i need to so yeah you're right Ash. it's like a it's like you're constantly kind of spinning lots of plates and you just have to be aware of potentially any signs or symptoms that things aren't quite working whether that's heart rate sweat rate rpe sometimes even like you know your the skins and, and you know sweat marks on on your clothes uh mm. how your lips um uh, you know how your how your um yeah your lips and and, and talk tests and, and things like that so lots of metrics that, to keep an eye on will often tell you let's say what cup is is running low or, or might be topping up that's very useful and the other thing you made me think of was um gi index like in terms of the speed that certain carbs get into your bloodstream are you considering that as well when you're mixing and matching for those really high carb uh, strategies yeah, there's a, a decent number of products now that are on the market that will have a, a combination of, um, you know, fructose and glucose, mal maltodextrin, etc. Again, if you're trying to hit these higher carb numbers, you will want to look at products that have, have a, a mixture of carbohydrate sources, let's say, that will help the pathway for that to be um, absorbed. So, yeah, it's just something to bear in mind if you're hitting the, the higher numbers. If you're you know, taking one or two gels per hour, you should be absolutely fine and shouldn't really experience any any GI distress. I also find from a, a GI distress point of view, it's actually worth zooming out and looking at what you ate pre-run or pre-bike or pre-brick session and potentially what you had the night before as well. So this actually ties in a little bit in terms of replication. If your body doesn't have too much fat or fiber in your system, things that could slow down digestion and cause any potential issue. If uh, if you are then taking carbohydrates on board during your session, the, there should be less resistance for these carbohydrates to be absorbed. So it's something I always work on in clients is, is really nailing their kind of pre-run or pre-ride meal or snack, and then actually looking at what they're having the night before in terms of minimizing fat, minimizing fiber. It's often then becomes a little bit leaner and plainer uh, their evening meal, but there's then nothing that's going to sit heavy. That's going to be well digested by the time they go to bed. When they then have a, a kind of, let's say, a higher carb, a little bit of protein meal pre-session in the morning. Again, there's nothing that's going to slow down digestion too much. So that when they're on the run, they should feel light, not too sluggish, uh, and be able to t be able to absorb the carbs that that you're giving your body during that time. I think with the definitely trying to get some numbers so the listeners can really put it out i think that 40 to 60 grams of carbohydrates is like a, a really nice place to make sure if you if you're now looking into intra-workout nutrition starting on that 40 gram mark and kind of seeing how you feel and as i think as you mentioned there about all the metrics is taking 40 grams in and say a good bunch of sessions say like three for a week say and see how your performance is and then can you up that I'd, obviously any feedback from you would be welcome but like for me i found that I kind of um, I, I went in at the higher end, so we say. So I went in at um, eighty grams an hour. So and that's mainly because I have um, the gel shot that I use is a blend of fructose and glucose, which I love because you mentioned earlier about kind of getting different sources when you're in the higher end. But also, I found as a palatability thing, like it's really nice. So I take the SIS uh, Beta Fuel, 
which mm-hmm. is which is lovely. And I and and uh, as you can imagine, I'm not the one that sips it. I'm a bang done go. And the main reason for that is though, it's not because oh, I have to get it done. Is I just don't want to have this half open sachet in my hand, or it's it's I'll probably lose some. It, there's more ag to it. So for me, I am a wham bam done. All right, get it done and crack crack on. But uh, kind of leading slightly into Ash's bar about overfueling. Have I gone wrong there by going to the 80 gram mark? Because for me, I feel really good and I don't seem to be in, uh, getting any GI stress or anything like that. That is on the top end. So, and obviously, you said body weight doesn't really take too much into consideration there because it's about how your body can process it. Is that have I done? Have I done right, or have I have I completely fucked it? No, not necessarily at all. Again, you've just instantly said there. You feel good. Performance feels good. No issues. Then, then crack on. I'd always just say to people, look, if you are newer to it, then start air on the side of caution. Start on the lower end of a target. What I also find works really well is that you could potentially use a, a gel or a chew on more of a static session. So rather than waiting until you're doing your one, two, three hour run, you could maybe use it as a as a pre-workout option, as some fast digesting carbs. Say you've got a uh, an early morning session, we spoke about, do I train faster or not? No, I need to have something to eat. Well, actually, why don't you take a gel on board before getting on the bike first thing in the morning? Your body can get used to absorbing some some liquid carbohydrate and then you can get used to kind of how you feel but you're not you know out on the roads potential of of any gi problems you're you know in the gym or you're at home safe and sound if there are any issues so it can just get your body used to using it there you can use it during a session which i think is is a great option even if it's still an hour session but it could be uh, your second session of the day and maybe after your warm-up or halfway through you know turbo trainer session it could be a great opportunity there again to to try some carbohydrates whether it's liquid or, or or the gel option so there's always going to be a little bit of trial and error and yeah the, the beta fuel products are amazing um the, the morton products are very popular as well but you know there's nothing wrong also with using like some fruit juice there's nothing wrong with using something like coconut water like lucasaid sport is something i know works really well for me um and then what i like about it is that if i'm ever anywhere and, and I, I get a bit stuck or i haven't got enough with me I always know I can get a LucasAid Sport from most supermarkets, petrol stations, etc. So when I decided to run from Twickenham uh, in southwest London all the way to Colchester in Essex, which was 100 miles, uh, I realised that obviously I couldn't carry everything I had with me, but I knew the products I could pick up on the go because I trialled and practised them in my training too. So I think this will be a really good time to kind of work into our pre-training uh, but I kind of wanted to finish off a bit with the intro because your posts have actually inspired me to not have caffeine necessarily pre-workout. So because of the GI stress, and I actually found I started to just need a shit a lot quicker than I thought. And so I've actually, I've, and I swapped the caffeine for carbohydrates. And that was something I know you're, you've been a big advocate on your post of swap basically a knocko for some carbs and you'll feel better. And Obviously, I see the fuel the tank posts a lot. They might be boring, but they're very applicable because you are fueling for the work ahead. Now, when you talk about, uh, can we just get into caffeine and where where is that? Is it obviously we know there are a lot of performance benefits for, to it, but is it really essential when we are looking at high performance? Um, I think it has a place. Definitely, one hundred percent has a place. I think. 
what you've obviously got to be aware of, like say, is uh, the, the dosage and the time. I sometimes see people have a very high dose, very close to starting training, uh, and it can potentially elevate heart rate. It can, you know, it can make you a bit jittery, which is great if you're going into a functional fitness, I don't know, t- eight minute AMRAP or something. But again, actually, would it be better with with caffeine having it a little bit earlier? So having it thir- or, so sorry, further away, sorry. So having it 30 or 60 minutes before your uh, workout or your competition or your event. So it's in your bloodstream, uh, but any potential side effects might have passed, literally. Um, and then you can think about topping up the tank with, with carbohydrate. This is something that I do a little bit sometimes with myself is I'll have my coffee further away from my training session so that I feel alert, I feel focused. But my but I'm not jittery with my heart rate because again, if the focus is to go out and run or bike in an aerobic zone or or or, or a low aerobic zone, and I've had a can of knocko 15 minutes before going out the door, my heart rate's going to be elevated. So I find personally actually re- using caffeine um, smartly and then actually relying more consistently on energy from carbohydrates pre-training tends to get a a, a better result. I do think in the later stages of endurance sessions, I think caffeine can play a massive role. Um, as long as it doesn't affect sleep, um, you know, if you're doing training later in the day, but I know if uh, when I've had clients on two, three, four, five hour sessions, using caffeinated gels later into the session, whether it's a placebo effect or whether it does give them effect of increasing uh, alertness of reducing fatigue and helping them again, finish strong, rather than having all their caffeine at the start and, you know, 90 minutes, two hours into that session, you know, that they're, 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 they're uh, dipping away in terms of energy performance. You could use caffeinated gels or caffeine tablets later into a session to get you through that. That's funny because uh, it makes so much sense, but I don't think I've ever put a caffeine gel towards the end of my workout. I've always got, right, start the workout. Here we go. When I don't actually need that extra energy because I'm feeling pretty fresh and it's, that's a very good point so thank you for that so let's go into our into our pre-workout nutrition so we've you've spoken to it a bit there where we mentioned it's not just the meal before the workout but it's also going to the night before so maybe we start the night before and kind of maybe dive dive a bit deeper into that and then we kind of work into then peri-workout sorry pre-workout nutrition yeah sounds great sounds great so what what would what you've mentioned earlier about having probably something a bit bland, probably quite low in fiber, um, what what would we what would be a, quite a good thing to start with if we've got an early morning workout, say about six seven a.m. and it is say a brick session, bike run. So yeah, the night before, and I think with particularly like brick sessions or longer runs, I think this is a great opportunity to replicate and really dial in your like pre-race meal for the for the for the night before so protein sources ideally want to keep it leaner again fat will slow down digestion so a, a leaner protein source chicken turkey a, a leaner cut of uh, of mints you could use tofu if you wanted to maybe white fish um easier to digest carbohydrates white rice people get afraid of it sometimes uh but it looks it's going to digest easier there's there's less fiber there you know potatoes, pasta, whatever you fancy. Don't need to have three portions of it, just a normal size portion the night before is great. Again, sometimes I see people thinking, oh, I've got a big training session tomorrow. I'm gonna eat three bowls of pasta like I'm Chris Hoy. 
uh, and then they feel really heavy and bloated because they've got undigested food in their stomach come the morning. So yeah, lean protein, easy to digest carbohydrate. Of course, we'd still like a little bit of color in there. That'd be great. But lower fiber veg would be more preferable. So rather than broccoli, cabbage, cauliflower, again, things that are high in fiber, slow down that gastric emptying. You could have things like spinach, uh, peppers, tomatoes. So we could be cooking up a bit of an egg fried rice or, or a stir fry or something like that. I'd always be wary of too much spice as well. Um, again, just be aware of upsetting your stomach, having anything the next day repeating on you is not ideal. So I think that would be a, a really good meal that you could get nailed in, replicate. And then what I find works really well with athletes is normally they have to travel for most events. You know, most Ironmans aren't on your doorstep. Most marathons aren't uh, around the corner. So you've normally got to travel and stay the night before. You can normally get some sort of chicken wrap, pasta, rice dish, wherever you are in any sort of restaurant. So you can try and replicate that when you're when you're on the road, which then, you know, gives them a sense of familiarity and sets them up with a with a nice meal the night before the big day. Nice. And when we then have our good night quality, our good quality night sleep and we start our day nice and early getting ready for our big long endurance session ahead. Coffee, as we mentioned, you probably want to have that quite early if you are going to utilize that so you can obviously let the body do its thing. Um, mm -hmm. As I said, I've actually kind of negated it completely because I found even having it about an hour before just I don't know if it's the nerves of the session or what, but like my body holds on to it until I start the session. I'm like, oh God, I've got to go. So I now actually just completely negate and just fuel myself with carbohydrates. But um, so there's, there's something to think about there, Rob, actually. If you find that movement plus caffeine yeah. can stimulate, that's something to actually, I, I sometimes have experienced that myself. You get up in the morning early, you have breakfast, you have coffee. I then sit down for a long time until about 15 minutes before I've then got to be out the door and I panic and get on my kit on. Yeah. Whereas actually, I've actually found getting up, moving around the house, doing jobs, whatever, warming up a little bit, right, then that helps me go. I can't yeah. believe we're having this kind of chat. Well, you've got to. <laughs> so Ash is on mute at the moment, but um, just, just uh, yeah, you're on mute. Um, just with that though, so... I think my problem is, is because I'm training at nearly most of my sessions will start at 5am or just before. So it's like, I'm trying to think, right. Cause I, I don't want, cause of these longer sessions, I don't want to take into family time too much. So I have to bear that in mind. So I'm up at four and I am tired and I'm just, and all I want is a coffee, but I'm like, even then, right, I've now got to go to the toilet. It's like dead silent in the house. I'm like, the last thing I want to be doing. <laughs> so uh, we're having this conversation because this is, I think a lot of endurance athletes, whether you're hybrid or not, that have families or like other people in their household do have to wake up a bit earlier and do these things. And like, for me, I have found not having caffeine now has been a massive um, benefit to my performance. Also, because you mentioned earlier about um, the higher heart rate, I, I knew if I had coffee pre a low aerobic session, it just wouldn't be low aerobic. I already struggled as it is to maintain zone two, just by sheer size. So like I've worked really hard to kind of get a kind of semi-okay pace where most of it's running with some, some speed walking. Um, but if I have caffeine, it's near enough like, I, I'm no chance. I'm not having a zone two session, even if the RPE is very talkative. <laughs> so, Can you hear me now? Yes, we're in. So the trivia about morning poos is uh, back from my 
brief stint working in the pharmaceutical industry, I went to a conference when they were talking about something poo related. And the only thing I remember was <laughs> that your stomach essentially has receptors in it, like a spirit level. So when you're lying down and your stomach acid is flat compared to your body, as if you're standing up, your body knows not to poo. But then when you stand up and your stomach acid flattens out, it can detect where the stomach acid is. And that's one of the stimuli for emptying your bowels. So that's one of the reasons why staying stationary in the morning doesn't help you go to the toilet. Whereas if you move around a little bit, it sloshes your uh, spirit level around. And that (laughs) is one of the ways to keep your regular regular movements so (laughs) no i love it i love it because it also because it's funny you you say it's like with the movement side of stuff is i know i would say uh be able to go down into the gym and like do some like warm-up and stuff like that but normally i've set up my bike the trainer's out everything's it's all there so it's all in the way so actually space that i have to mobilize is very little so it's um yeah but it's, it's food for thought and on the, on the concept of food. So what food would you then think about having pre-workout? Because for me, I, I know that I'm, I really enjoy some like a bagel or like some roll, a roll of some sort with banana, honey and salt on top. That's like, and I know you're very similar. Um, what is that? Is that a good fuel? And like, what are some thoughts to be had when you are thinking about the food to eat pre endurance session? Yeah. I think you're on the right lines there, Rob, which is great. We're thinking about ideally a combination again of glucose and fructose. So we're looking for two different sources of carbohydrate. You can think about a little bit of protein in there as well, um, because opposite to the night before, we might just want to slow down digestion just a little bit. So there's nothing wrong with having a little bit of protein, whether that's like a, a, some peanut butter, etc. cetera. Um, uh, a method that I use uh, with myself uh, and with clients is, um, if we're looking about an hour or so between getting up, having breakfast and being out the door, I like the one by one rule. Uh, and again, this will take a little bit of trial and error to get you up to this point. But there is research behind it of having um, up to one gram of carbohydrates per kilogram of body weight one hour before you train. So the one by one. Uh, and again, you can get this in different combinations. So if you had a bagel with a tablespoon of jam on, that's about 50 grams of carbohydrate. If you added a banana to that, that would be 70 grams of carbs. If you put honey on top of that, that would be about 90 grams of carbs. So you can see how quite easily you can scale something up. Ideally, we want carbohydrates in, let's say in an easy to digest form. Porridge, probably not the one. Bagels, wraps, uh, white toast, crumpets. You could use, again, liquid nutrition here is fantastic. Uh, You can then have, let's say, little kind of snacks to go with it if you want a soaring loaf you want a squares bar you want a bit of biscoff spread on it whatever you fancy um and then obviously making sure we've got we're starting hydrated this is something i see people also get wrong is they come down and the first thing they drink is that coffee out of the uh you know espresso machine in the morning they might they might eat and then they're out the door so actually are you starting hydrated have you potentially preloaded your hydration the night before you could have electrolytes with your evening meal you could have electrolytes um with your kind of pre-ride pre-run meal in the morning particularly again if you know you're going to be out for two three four hours if you're going to be working hard or you're going to be or you have a high sweat rate or you're going to be in an environment or a climate that creates a high sweat rate start hydrated 
don't guess don't think oh i'll just do it when i'm on the run or i'll start eating when i'm on the run i'd rather someone take half an hour longer to make sure they've had something to eat and to have something to drink because again if you start in a if you start with all your three cups full you're likely going to perform better rather than be chasing your nutrition on the hydration front tom what i've heard that the fast this is another interesting um stretch receptor bit of trivia in that apparently the faster you drink the sooner you need to piss it out because you're like the speed of stretch of your bladder is one of the things that tells you you need to wee so this is an argument for basically not chugging like a lot of people wake up and chug a pint or chug, chug a liter yeah. yeah and then they just need to go to the toilet very quickly and a lot so not, obviously not all of that is being absorbed if somebody is in a rush in the morning to get out for their run what's a reasonable time frame for them to absorb or to do the best job of hydrating essentially like should they be drinking slightly less but maybe with electrolytes and sipping it or should is it best to just get as much in as early as possible like chug that pint literally on the side of the bed and give it some time to soak in what's the advice i would i like the little and often approach uh, which is then something you can replicate when on the bike in particular um you know you want to be thinking about every 10 to 15 minutes having would be about 100 to 200 mils it's, it's you know it's a, it's a couple of mouthfuls it's a couple of sips and actually in that hour you might be able to get close to 500 mils 600 mils before you go out the door um again getting something in your system is always going to be better beneficial than not so if someone is going to neck a pint say they've got a half an hour window then yes i would definitely think about you know adding some electrolytes to that that will help with the absorption uh of, of that water that you're taking on board and look Electrolytes are starting to get a bit of traction, which I think is great. People are talking about them a lot more. Um, if someone is is serious about their endurance training and electrolytes, I would just one hundred percent go recommend having a sweat test done. I just think it's there's there's clinics in uh, I know in London and you you can look up online. I just think it will give you again a little bit of clarity in terms of how much electrolytes you need. I was quite surprised at how much sodium I lose uh when, when i'm as soon as i go above that kind of two hour mark i, I knew i was a, a a salty sweater but i i didn't realize i needed like a thousand milligrams per hour uh for example so having that sweat test done gave me real clarity in terms of what i need the night before how much to take on in the morning how much to take during the ride so if people are taking things relatively seriously and want to perform well then yeah just just to get that in there i would, I would have a, a sweat test done that's really useful and can you is there a downside to taking the sodium in big chunks? Like if you took tablets or something in that evening, say you don't say somebody doesn't like salty food or doesn't want to drink electrolyte drinks all the time. Could they take a salt tablet? They say they took two grams of salt for their evening meal. How would that all be digested and absorbed and retained for the run the next morning? Or is it similar to the water thing in that actually dripping it means better absorption? Yeah, there's, there's a good chance, um, as well as trying to pee out excess fluid and sodium, your body might be forced to hold on to some uh, ACF, what's called extracellular fluid, in terms of keeping everything balanced. So, yeah, if in doubt, get get tested and think about the, the more little and often uh, uh, with hydration. You're right, you don't have to use an electrolyte tablet. You could add a half a teaspoon of salt to your water. Uh, if you wanted to, you could add a little bit more uh, salt to your food. 
it's I've not seen too many or heard too many cases of people overdoing it with electrolytes, but it's just something you, you have to be aware of. Like say the number one sign that sometimes you're overdoing it with hydration in general across the day is that you're, you're going a lot. And, mm. the, you know, in terms of the, the color of the spectrum, it's it's really clear. It's very, very clear. You know, we, we're often looking for that clear or slightly yellow. Um, if things are very, very clear and you're going regularly, maybe you're just overdoing it on water or electrolytes or both. So again, think look always looking at your body's own signs and symptoms. It's giving you lots of signals sometimes. You just got to be aware of those things. Awesome. And um, any other sort of, well, sorry, we haven't done post-workout yet, so let's do that first. So anything else to add on pre or should we go into post-workout? Are there any nuances for endurance or hybrid sessions that uh, change from the standard advice of protein and carbs after training? Um, I think, again, with always thinking about the, the four R's approach, so thinking about replenishing muscle glycogen, thinking about re repair with protein, rehydrate potentially um with again you could use electrolytes potentially there uh, and actually rest it's something i sometimes see people it's easier than said than done but actually spending time off your feet you know actually resting and letting your body recover particularly if you've done a two three four hour plus session that's a lot of stress on your body it's a lot of stress on your joints that's a lot of stress mentally having to concentrate for that amount of time so whether it's having a nap, whether it's just putting your feet up, whether it's trying to have a little bit of downtime, a little bit of decompression time, even if it's 10, 15, 20 minutes, I find really helps your body shift into that rest and digest mode as well. I, I often think there's a really good window to try and eat and then eat again. Sometimes uh, endurance exercise can suppress people's appetite. So I will often uh, recommend we have like a recovery shake protocol within 15 to 30 minutes of, of getting in uh, from your from your run or ride. Ideally, like a three to one ratio is great. Um, for example, Yazoo chocolate milk is spot on, uh, which is a which is a firm favorite of the endurance athletes. I'm sure other brands are available, but, but Yazoo chocolate milk, for example, is perfect. It's actually got electrolytes in as well. It's high carb, decent amount of protein in perfect. You can make your own make your own like smoothie. Good opportunity to sneak some nutri like nutrient dense food in, chuck a bit of spinach in, a few berries or something. Great, it's going to absorb nice and quickly post training. Uh, but that shouldn't feel too heavy. You should be able to get some nutrition on board and then be able to eat what we'd call like a training meal, like a high carb, high protein meal, maybe an hour to ninety minutes after that. It's something I sometimes see is people put so much focus in to the training. And then they've got the next job or the next task of the day or the weekend, or they've got to go be a dad again, or, you know, whatever it is, they just, they forget to eat. So then they end up in the evening. This, uh, one of the factors we identified early in the day, wasn't it, was um, not eating enough around their training and then backloading their calories. So look, I think a lot of this comes down to, you've got to, uh, you've got to be really watertight with the logistics here, haven't you? I'm sure Rob will echo this, like you've got to, almost start planning the night before what's for dinner what's my hydration look like what's my sleep routine look like what's for breakfast the next morning have i got all my kit ready but actually what what's my intra workout what's my post-workout nutrition looking like and trying to simplify that as much as you can trying to have similar options week by week you will know what works for you you'll get familiar with it you'll become quicker and more efficient at it that whole process 
and let's say it's then transferable in terms of then when you have to travel for your event and it's one less stress you have to worry about so it's what i try and do for my clients as much as i can is really try and map that week out and see you know where you're going to fit all these components in and just really get it dialed in as much as you can i think what's really important there you said about is the that trying to make it as simple as possible and i have i'm still trying to get it down to a t but it's the point of if i know i've got say an hour's bike i know or say an hour and a half bike i know how many say gels i'm going to need or say mini saurines that i might want to have on the bike or something like that so i know what i need there and then if it's a brick session where i'm then going to be taking it into a run i've already got all my stuff ready where the, the gels are in my little bum bag thing and stuff like that for that decision fatigue it's already done like i've already planned out cool i've got an, an hour's run i'm going to need to fuel this much and as you said, the more and more you get comfortable doing it, you feel very easy to say, okay, this is what I need. And like the preparation thing, like if you'd see the, I think any endurance athlete probably or doing any type of set, like brick type of session or like long run the night before the prep is in like everything's set up. I know like in my gym, the bikes there, the table next to the bike, I've got like X amount of gels. I've got the fan there. I've got everything all set. Then I've got my running shoes set and everything's, in place to make it as not only low barrier of entry as possible to actually do the workout but also so that it's i don't have to think about when do i need to eat and like with the simplicity and, and hydrate is in like the simplicity of every half an hour or say every 15 minutes taking something on board taking something on board and then once you're done have a shake and then get some proper food in and like especially if you're training in the morning it's a nice opportunity after you've had your shake to have a nice breakfast so then, and that's, and then you could then kind of create that staple breakfast that you have post training session. I know you spoke about obviously a little bit different if you're going into a race, but like having a standard, say, Saturday morning post session breakfast that you always have that hits those four hours or three of the hours. And then the rest is obviously very individual dependent, depends on how, what your life is like. But yeah, it's, I, I think that the preparation side of stuff is massive when you have such long sessions that you have to do because it's all as you said it's already a stress on the body it's already a stress on the mind that you have to do these enduring things so you want to make sure that the the nutrition side of stuff isn't something that's taken away some of that energy yeah and and, and the biggest thing that i see when people come to work with me is that you know when trying to balance strength and endurance it's the, the it is that additional energy expenditure from training that hybrid star can just be exceptionally, exceptionally high. And what you don't want to do is inadvertently place yourself into a calorie deficit. This is where we see then people have fatigue, they have low energy, and they end up after that kind of newbie gain period, they end up actually maybe, you know, regressing that they have a lack of progress in the gym or, or on the track or on the bike. So we spoke about, you know, increased heart rate, you know, um, or you know, high or lower heart rate variability, all those kind of metrics, they, they they start to drift. So, I think this is where, again, having a system in place to help you do that is is the number one thing that it comes down to is having a, a structure across the day that makes it easy to eat and consume calories. Sometimes, not every meal has to be a, a gourmet five star, uh, you know, kind of chef Ramsay special. It can just be like chicken and rice and veg and salad, and, and that's okay. Sometimes you have to remove the emotion a little bit and say find ways to, to have smoothies have you know outsource things a little bit to, to help you be able to hit those numbers because some of the numbers that some of the, the guys guys and girls that i work with are quite eye-wateringly high at times 
Uh, and look, we can get as much of it from real food as we can. So, you know, the, the vitamin and mineral turnover, again, can be higher on these kind of athletes because the demands and the stresses they are they are putting through the body. So it's the first thing that normally can slip quite easily is that it's either not eating enough or not eating enough of, of quality food, uh, which, which is normally fixable for a lot of people. Actually, if you think about it, it's just you've got to have the systems got to have the structure in place to help you facilitate that and i think just because you kind of touched on it there and i think we have done it actually think we've spoken about it directly but so with all this extra energy output you obviously need to consume a lot of energy back are you looking to consume what strava tells you how much you've burned or your garmin has told you how much you've burned or are you looking to maybe take a percentage of that dependent on your goal and now this is a little question for me as well. So obviously where I do have a body composition goal as well as a performance goal, it's a very sweet spot I have to try and balance. So I I do kind of air a little bit closer towards the performance side of stuff because that is what truly matters to me. But what do we do with the calories? So obviously we have our maintenance calories where we know, okay, this is what's going to get me by day to day. Uh, I know pH Nutrition have a great calorie calculator which we'll put in the comment section on the description box below so if you want to check out your calories and kind of guidance there click on that what do we do from there to make sure we're balancing those books there's one of two ways i think to approach this best one is looking at additional calories burnt across the week this would all this would obviously be based on if you have a very consistent training schedule and your longer aerobic session or sessions are consistent each week so say for example if someone is in the gym doing four strength sessions per week and they're then doing three sessions of aerobic or endurance sessions we would look at the the trend and the average calories that are burnt in those three sessions and then we would actually maybe look to just distribute it across the whole week across all seven days to make things nice and easy and simple so the client's still got one target to follow. Um, tend to find that works quite well. Again, just in, in terms of ease of meal prepping, food prepping, being organized. If you've got one target across seven days a week, it's a lot easier sometimes than having like high days, low days. It's too much admin. It's too much stress for most people. Um, the other option in terms of balancing the books is maybe having a baseline based upon five or six days per week. Uh, it might include endurance training on that as well. So might choose like the double session button on the on the calorie calculator. So might base um, someone's targets off five days per week doing double sessions or four days per week double sessions. But then if someone's like longer session at the weekend is three, four hours, that's obviously a considerable more amount of calories. So that's when we would look at balancing the books within that kind of 24 hour to 48 hour period. So they're obviously going to consume calories while they're on the uh, bike or while they're running. So we would look at how many calories uh, the Garmin or the Apple Watch set says they're burning. And then we would start to follow basically what we call like an eat back protocol. So we would add additional calories on that day or let that bleed over to the following day as well. We sometimes that works really well in terms of point of recovery. So give an example, if my watch tells me that I've burnt two and a half thousand calories, I would eat back up to 2,250 calories on top of my daily target. So if I was eating 3,000 calories as a baseline, uh, I would then be eating you know, kind of 5,000 calories plus. Um, 
it's sometimes hard to do. So that's why we talk about bleeding over. Again, if I'm eating 90 to 120 grams of carbs per hour on a run, I might eat 1,000 calories while I'm running. So there are there are ways to do it. And again, I think using liquid nutrition around your training will, will, will help you absorb more calories as well. But like any calorie calculator, it's just a starting point. So you can then start to start to assess in terms of keeping an eye on your body weight, keeping an eye on your performance in the gym, keeping an eye on body composition, how you look, feel. Have I overestimated? Have I underestimated? Where do I need to make some tweaks? And actually going full circle back in terms of training styles and training types. Again, someone who's doing maybe kind of hybrid training where they're doing strength training and endurance, because their weeks are similar a lot of the time, it's it's sometimes easy to assess where we might need to shift energy demands based upon their week. Whereas uh, I happen to, at the moment have got a, a CrossFitter who's then training for an Ironman, their weeks can be very different, you know, week to week based upon what training cycle they do. They then end up like a moth to a light and get sucked in to do some after class extras. And they do, oh, I jumped in and did class on a Sunday. I meant to be my rest day. And I'm like, okay, right. This is giving me challenges to work with, but, but it, but it's, but it's, it's, it's the joy of it. It's the joy of trying to see actually what can the body do? What can we get it to do? How can, you know, not, not push it, but what, what is your body capable of? And that's what I found to be really beneficial from it. Again, like saying from a physical and mental point of view, and then also clients coming back and saying, right, I was amazed how much better I felt when I ate pre-training, how much better my recovery markers are because I'm, I think I'm eating better post-workout or I'm managing to sneak more nutrients into my diet. You know, we're not trying to reinvent the wheel here. We're just, let's say, a lot of the time making sure that we're matching people's energy demands. We're really focusing on food quality and then we're just getting watertight with the logistics. So you haven't got to think it just becomes a finished training, shake, eat, or getting up in the morning, it's bagel, banana, whatever it is. It's, it's becoming really autonomous with that because then if things aren't working or we need to tweak things, it's easier. If everything's random and all over the shop, just makes things a little bit more tricky, so to speak. That's brilliant. I think that's an amazing summary and incredibly helpful and practical for the listeners to take away. So thank you very much, Tom. And uh, if the listeners want to find out more about hybrid nutrition or the other things that they're up that you're up to, where can they <laughs> find it? Uh, you can find me on Instagram. I am at tmc.nutrition. Um, and then if you want to find out a little bit more about me and my coaching, if you go to phnutrition.co.uk forward slash Tom, uh, there's all information about me, about working with me. You can book a free call. We can have a chat, take things from there. Mate, thank Amazing. you very much. We'll make sure that's all in the description box below. Um, that's been really helpful for me as well and some things to take away into my training. So it's a very selfish episode. So thank you very much. I've really appreciated all your time. And um, yeah, have you got any big races coming up? Obviously, you've got your ultra coming up. When is that? Uh, 12th of August. So at the time of filming this, what are we about four weeks out from running a 100 kilometer uh, trail run? And then... Uh, I tend to do a charity fundraiser every year for Movember. Um, nice. Which, so that will be the next thing to get after is start planning what I'm going to do this year. So watch this space. Definitely watch this space. So thank you very much as always. And uh, we'll see you soon, mate. Thank you, guys. Cheers, Tom. 
Thank you, Tom, for coming on. That was a very selfish episode for myself. I really enjoyed that, and I've got so many takeaways for my own training. And the fact I've got so many takeaways, I really hope you, the listeners, have got plenty as well to help improve your performance when it comes to maybe your hybrid style training, or even if you're just doing, say, some CrossFit, which has already got a bit of a hybrid nature to it anyway. So... Hopefully you got some bits like I did and if you did and you all you know a, a hybrid athlete that could really benefit from improving their performance, which I'm sure they could all benefit from, share this episode on all your social media channels. We would really appreciate it. Don't forget to tag us at lunge.lift and tag Tom as well at tmc.nutrition and... If you really did enjoy it, we would love for you to give us a little cheeky review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, even subscribe to us over on YouTube, you know, all the good stuff. And um, also, if you've got any subjects you'd like us to cover, you can click in the box just below the Spotify episode and it gives you a way of kind of getting in contact with us and saying what you'd like to hear more of or a particular topic that you want us to cover. So definitely do give that a shot. So as always, thank you very much. If you did in... um, If you uh, want to get some discount, you can head over to wit-fitness.com and use the code LL15 and get yourself 15% off your WIT kit. And you can head over to Hytro um, and get some blood flow restriction apparel with 20% off by using the code LL20. So as always, thank you very much each and every single week for tuning in. We'll see you next week. Thanks, guys.